I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, Celtics fans? This is a happy podcast. It's a very happy podcast. For anybody that follows me on social media, you'll know I didn't watch the game until Tuesday around about 8 a.m. Eastern time, simply because I had no internet. So I'm coming off this. This is like a fresh reaction for me. Before we dive into it, I'm joined by, as usual, my co-host, my compadre. I've screwed up the intro, but we'll do it again. The co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. Will, this is how I'm on Cloud9, dude. I can't even do the intro correctly, man. Hey, it's all good. What's going on, my guy, Taylor Gang? It is good to be here as a as, as a fellow, you know, host of, of the show that Greg and I have. I totally feel your pain. You always want to get it right. You have it set up in your mind how it's going to go. But honestly, sometimes the jubilation kind of takes over when you're just feeling good. Sometimes you're feeling so good that you think you have it nailed, but then your mind just starts to take off on you and your mouth and your mind are not quite on the same page. But yeah. you know what? On a day like today, it's all good, baby. Yeah, dude, good. you know, you can live with the little bit of mistakes. There was a few little mistakes during the game. They lived with it. It was what it was. You know, you still get that W. That's what's important, right? And just for the record, it's my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. There it is. There bang, it is. Bang, bang. Dude, like, so we're going to keep this one short and sweet simply because, you know, scoring, traffic, life. And it is what it is. Again, I'll keep saying that. So we're going to dive straight into it. First things first, Miami had no answer, dude. No answer. No answer. And when I was watching the game, I took some notes and I was very focused on how they were trying to play D. Right? Because I'm like, they came out, they kind of punched Boston in the mouth in game one. And a lot of it was from their defensive physicality. But the other part of it was that Boston just couldn't stop Jimmy Butler, right? Mm-hmm. So you go into game two. I'm like, I want to see how Miami try and limit Tatum after Tatum started hot. I want to see how they deal with the wings, how they deal with the penetration. And a lot of it was throwing two at the ball, like, you know, blitzes, doubles, yeah. uh, hard hedges. And the Celtics just picked them apart. It felt like at times they were hunting those blitzes because they knew they could pick it apart whenever the hell they wanted to. You see a counter from Miami to go to that two free zone. Then they, then they move to a three, two zone. So they put three up top, two down the bottom. And it's just like, man, nothing they could do could stop the Celtics. And you know what? That was such a vindicating moment during, I think it was a uh, midway through the third, they switched to a three, two zone mm-hmm. and Boston just, just JB just gets the ball, gets a, a high pick and roll drives middle collapses the entire thing and then finishes with a finger roll at the rim. And it's just like, dude, 18 months ago, if you threw a three, two zone at this, this same similar team, like the whole world's crashing down. Yeah, on you. So the absolutely. growth, dude, man, just so the way Boston kind of used Miami's defense against them, no matter what they threw, that was when I was like, because I haven't said this on any episode up until I'm about to say it right now. The way Boston manipulated, used, and abused that defense tells me that they are championship quality. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that goes without saying at a certain point, but yeah, you know, I mean, right now, the way Boston and, and Ime's quote after the game was great. He was like, Oh, we ready for that. Like he no hesitation. We ready for that. And really, if you think about it, the way Boston was embarrassed, and I think embarrassed is a good word when you think about what happened 
in the bubble between, you know, the Raptor series and the Heat series when it came to a zone. Because every everything else outside of that, of those two teams playing zone, they might have, you know, aside from obviously that, you know, a ridiculous uh, OG shot in game three with the 0.5 seconds, whatever. Like both of those series, w- w- the Celtics were were the more talented team, even with injuries in that in that series to Gordon Hayward. They, they were the more talented team and outside of not being able to figure out zones which zones you think of in like youth basketball more often than you do almost any other place and so when you see these you know these great nba all-stars that can't figure out the zone that becomes extremely frustrating and like i said embarrassing so i think this is almost a moment of redemption that has been building for the Celtics, you know, last year just never got right. Just, just, you know, just wasn't the right time. But even when you saw zones a little bit last year, you saw some growth. And I think this year, even though the numbers don't necessarily bear that out, you saw it. You, if you were watching the games, you saw the difference in the approach to how they would go ahead and break these zones in the way that they would, they would manipulate it to use your word. And I think last night, you know, obviously, you know, the heat turned it up in, in third quarter of game one. We talked about that last time. Like they, they destroyed us. They once again, they embarrassed us in the third quarter. And that was the difference in the whole game. That's the whole difference in the Celtics not being up 2-0 in this series, if we're being honest, is the fact that that third quarter went that poorly that they could be up 2-0 if that quarter just goes bad and not, you know, make you makes you want to vomit inducing. Like that that's the difference between 2-0. And you look at last night, and honestly, having Marcus and Al back. It, it, this isn't this isn't some giant you know X's and O's or some super in depth take. That was a huge difference, right? <laughs> having having two fits of your starting lineup back and Adam something that's crazy. This is only this last night was the third game of this entire postseason run that we've had our starting five together. So that to me that is part of what goes a long long way in being able to respond to anything the Heat were trying to do because I, I think right now the Celtics hole. Basically, without Derek White, shouts to Derek White having a baby. You know, the Celtics being whole, I think, are the better team. And I don't think every game is going to go like last night. But I think that's a big reason when you look at last night's game, why myself, you, Greg, a lot of people are picking the Celtics in six games for nights like that. There's been eight quarters of basketball. Boston have won seven. As far as I'm concerned, I haven't looked at the actual breakdowns of each quarter, but technically, assume... technically, last night was uh, they they split on the second half. It was tied in each quarter. Yeah, but but nah. the point still stands. Yeah, because for the final quarter, it was pretty much garbage time after like the first few minutes. So no, Boston. If if you lose garbage time minutes, you won because you forced garbage time minutes. It's kind of like a a win by default. So as far as I'm concerned, Boston have outplayed Miami seven out of eight quarters of basketball mm-hmm. as you said starting five are healthy what, what did you say one in three games this was one out of three this games is the third five. time all postseason yeah. that we've gotten the starting lineup of marcus jalen brown jason tatum al horford and rob williams and then you look at i've seen people say that miami are a more physical team and honestly i don't see I, like more physical than milwaukee is what i mean and uh, honestly over two games i haven't seen it I don't feel like this series is as physical. I, I think physical is the wrong word. I think they're more aggressive. I think that's the, the, more the, the, the to me that's the I, I think Jimmy's very physical as a player, and I think when you look at a game one, Jimmy's personal physicality 
was 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 a huge point of that game. Yeah. And so I think that might have stood out a bit more. But to me, I don't think that's necessarily the right word. Like, I, I think when I think of the physicality in, in Milwaukee, it's those big brooding guys that are all roaming the this paint, these saying, giant right? trees that, you know, like I even think about, you know, last night, like I'm looking at it right now, Celtics, I mean, Celtics had eight offensive rebounds, let up a good share of, of their own. But, you know, I, I don't know what the offensive rebounding numbers were against Milwaukee's top of my head, but it felt like we almost never got an offensive rebound because we had you know Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis and just all of these big physical guys that were in there throwing their elbows around and I, I don't think that's necessarily the case with Miami I think their aggression you talked about their blitzing you know for them they see even one moment where there's you know a scramble or something that you know that they can run to they're going to trap they love trapping they love blitzing they love you know putting the pressure on you to go make the right play and last night the Celtics did the Celtics kept the ball moving they had that one more mentality keep moving that ball and obviously that led to 23s last night and so it can backfire against them and you know at the beginning of the game you saw PJ Tucker pressuring Jason Tatum all the way up and down the court and it was early in the first Jason Tatum hit him with a back cut and you can use that aggression against the Miami Heat but you know back to the original point I think aggression versus physical is probably the the right way to look at this and I'd agree with that I think they're definitely a more aggressive team on both sides of the floor but the difference is it took Boston until game five against Milwaukee to really figure out how to get to the rim because of those hulking bodies, that rim protection that was there. The Celtics are just doing whatever they want when it comes to getting downhill. They're penetrating it. Well, the ram sets that they're running where you set, someone sets a down screen, the guy receiving the down screen goes up and sets up a screen on the perimeter. They're, those are designed to open up the mid-range. It creates a pocket around that free, that free throw line where guys can drive into and create from. And the amount of success that the team had from there, they were also doing some of that. I've kind of named them probe cuts. Like that's what I call them, where your guys on the wings cut a little bit just to see what the reactions are. Then they just go back out into mm-hmm. the perimeter, right? But by doing that, defenses are a little bit like, oh, well, these guys are here. We can't, bam, high pick and roll, and you're going to get downhill. And the reason I said they're not as physical is because I don't feel like guys are getting knocked off their driving lines very often. You know what I mean? I think Miami are doing more to drop back, stay in front of their guy and contest at the rim than to kind of force guys into going around them or going through them and drawing charges. And the reason I think this is important is because Boston will pressure you on that rim as much as they possibly can if you let them, because they know that they've got Robert hovering around, Horford's down low too. And then on the defensive end, the only thing I think they were really messing up on Boston was they were allowing a lot of slip screen penetration um, PJ took a smoke them with slip screen penetration in game one. We saw uh, Jimmy Butler kind of get hot, like get a few good looks from those slip screens. And outside of that, like, dude, man, I think this was like one of those games where a lot of it was on runouts, a lot of it was in transition, and almost everything Boston did was just very basic read, react, act mm-hmm. quickly, and freeze just kept opening up. And yeah. when you're open, you're going to knock them down. Yeah, and I mean, the Celtics, you said, but talk about them getting out in transition last night. They win the turnover battle 14 to 9. They don't have, you know, that disastrous type quarter like like they had in game one. And, you know, something that looks very, and it looked even apparent in certain parts of, of game one without the Celtics being at full strength. But last night, you know, having Marcus and Al back in that defense, it seemed very evident that Miami in a slowed down game is going to really struggle to score in the half court. Like, if they, if they just don't. I, I don't think they have the playmakers for it, 
right? They don't or they don't have the scorers to really make that happen for them, you know. And this is where, you know, I I was a little suspect of when you, we talked about this at the end of the podcast. We didn't really have a chance to get into it too much. It was like, what do we do with Jimmy Butler? Which, by the way, Marcus Smart did end up guarding him quite a bit and made a made a pretty big difference when he was in there. Uh, I saw last night from Kevin O'Connor via Second Spectrum. Um, uh, Marcus Smart guarded Jimmy Butler on 31 possessions, held him to nine points, nine of his 29 points that he had last night. So clearly that makes a, a difference just from that perspective. But you mentioned, and, and it's a little bit of what the Celtics did last night, where it's like, hey, Jimmy might get his, but as long as we get nobody else to get theirs, good luck. Because that's that's going to be a really tough hill to climb. And I thought for myself, I was like, man, Jimmy's a little bit of a different superstar. But at the end of the day, like if you look around at, you know, the other players on the on the Miami Heat, Duncan Robinson, 0 of 4 from 3. Tyler Hero, 0 of 3 from 3. Max Struess went 2 of 7. Those were all of his shots right there. Gabe Vincent had a solid game. But then other than that, there's nobody else you can really point to that was that was in a supporting role. And so, yeah, Jimmy ends up with a really nice stat line, you know, 29 points, 6 rebounds, 11 of 18 from the field, got to the line 8 times. But if that's all they got, good luck. That's, that's not going to re- re- result in many wins. This is the singles, the single star kind of defense that I, I always lean on. You know, and it's not that this, it's not that Miami don't have other options. It's that the options they have don't sit well in the half court, as you said. The one guy that could unlock that for them isn't playing. Kyle Lowry's still out with that hamstring injury. Even if he comes back in game three or game four, he's missed so much time. He's going to need ramp up time. You probably won't see the best of him until late, late in the series, at which point it might be too late. Uh, And then, like, you know, if if that means you've only got one star on the floor, just limit everyone else. And I've said it all the way through that Milwaukee series with Giannis as well. There's no Chris Middleton. So all you need to do is stop everyone else. And once you do that, that one star isn't good enough to beat you. That's why every team's like, we need two. We need three stars. You've got one missing. You still can't hone in on one guy or let one guy go off because there's another guy as an outlet. But Boston did a great job, man. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Rob Williams played really well in game one in terms of like, you know, he put up some numbers, he, he protected the rim. But I think that having him moving back into that legitimate free safety role, knowing that Al Horford's there is like the big man point of attack defender and then having mm-hmm. Rob back in the corner, you know, he got a blocked shot down in the corner. I think it was it Gabe Vincent he blocked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, block that jumper in the corner. And then he, he ro- um, early in the game, he rotated over to get a block. I think it was on Jimmy or it was on PJ or something like that, or it was a good contest. I need to get my second watch in before I'm too sure on who it was. But the point being, like, from early, you could see that now Rob was back in a role that he'd excelled in all season. All yeah. of a sudden, the defense has just gone to a completely different level. And the penetration they were getting, Miami were getting, wasn't resulting in the same success we saw in game one. And then now, because Boston were converting on such a high clip of their looks offensively, well, what's the best form of transition defense? Make your shots. You make shots, there's no transition. You know what I mean? Unless you're getting guys on a run out and you've got Kevin Love there to shoot a full court pass off the baseline. (laughs) You know what I mean? So to me, it was like, man, everything that Miami would want to do was just literally taken away from them they pulled the rook yeah 100 and, and you know you made a great point about you know rob being back in his role 
And I think just in general for the Celtics team, having Marcus and Al back and really getting a chance to kind of reset everybody's role made a big difference in in just the way that that the team played. You look at, you know, all the way from the stars down to the role players, the efficiency that that Tatum and JB were able to utilize last night. You know, Marcus coming back, setting the tone. You just talked about, you know, the Rob and Al combo. And I think you look at a guy like Grant Williams, you know, and minus his brief, you know, delusional appearance as Grant Curry in game seven, you know, he really has not been great as a starter. You know, so that's about four out of the last five games that he started. He has not been great. Last night, he gets to go back to that bench role. He still plays 32 minutes, but felt a lot more in control, felt a lot more uh, like the Grant that we had started to get used to coming off the bench here. Ends up with a great 19 points, four rebounds stat line, five of seven from the field, two of two from three, got to the line eight times, had a really solid game. And so just for the Celtics being able to get back to normalcy, if you will, you know, in game two versus game one after coming off that brutal series. It, you know, it, like I said, this is not a super deep analysis of this game. It, it just feels like resetting those those roles in that tone made all the difference. And 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 that's why the Celtics are going back with the series tied. And who do you think was okay, so Marcus Smart had the more impactful game overall. We can see that, you know, the defense, mm-hmm. the um the playmaking, the scoring. But who do you think means more in that rotation, Smart or Horford? Who unlocks that team more? Because it feels like without Horford there, you're not getting the best Rob Williams But because Rob has to move into a, a traditional five type of role, right? Mm-hmm. And Rob's rim protection is a huge piece of what they do defensively as a rotational free safety. And But Marcus Smart, if Marcus Smart's not there, you lose perimeter defense, you're losing dribble penetration, scoring, yeah. and playmaking. So it's like, damn, if you lose both of these guys, but one of them, which one would you, if you had to be without it, one? So if you're going to put me in an ESPN either or situation, that's where what I have I'm to doing choose right one. Now. I know what you're doing. I know exactly what you're doing here. It's it, it's a really tough question because I think a lot of this goes back to part of our conversation that we had after game one in the depth, right? And so we all know the Celtics lack a bit of wing depth. Right. That's that's probably their biggest Achilles heel. They might need to address in the offseason or hope that they can develop Aaron Neesmith into someone that can get some more, you know, real playing time. Because when you look at it, you know, you have Marcus Smart and Derek White as part of the guard set. You have Al Horford and Grant Williams as part of your your big set. But all four of them kind of cross over into that wing area, especially on defense, being able to defend. And then you look at Al and Grant can kind of space the floor with their shooting. So they all do a little bit of that three and D type stuff that we're talking about that, you know, you'd like a little bit more ball handling, but that's, that's a separate issue, but they fill in a little bit of those needs that you would want from another wing player. Right. So you cut out that depth and now you're lacking in your bigs and you're lacking in your, uh, your ball handling and you're lacking in your wings and you're lacking, you know, across all three areas, bigs, wings, and, you know, your ball handlers, you're losing somebody across all three without those two. And we saw with Marcus Smart, you end, without having him in game one, you end up with offense, defense, Peyton Pritchard versus Derek White. If Derek White's having one of those nights where he's just not on offensively, but he's still helping your defense keep a decent level, but you need that Peyton Pritchard on offense, what do you sacrifice? Where do you go? Marcus kind of helps helps keep everything afloat because he's going to be better certainly you know on the defensive end and he's going to be a little bit better on that offensive end as well and then Al Horford you talked about his impact and putting guys into their roles so I I think at the end of the day I'm actually going to go with Marcus Smart as my answer I I'll be honest I think you can make the case either way but I think with Marcus Smart you know we saw last night that 
you know, his tone setting of the the way that he plays Stevens last night was some was some depoy stuff from him. Last night, you know, even stuff that doesn't end up in the box score. And you can say the same about Al because a lot of his stuff doesn't end up in the box score. But I think a lot of the things that you saw from Marcus are what make him, you know, we, we talk about he's the heart and soul of this team. Al's kind of that that veteran leader, Uncle Al type role. You know, Marcus is the heart and soul of this team. And I think for a matchup with a team like Miami, who is very emotional, let's say, they play off their emotions you kind of have to match that sometimes, right? You, you can't let that overtake you. And so I think in this particular scenario, Marcus is the guy to rally that team. And I think Grant tried to do it in game one. Wasn't, wasn't, didn't, didn't work quite as well. But I think Marcus really is that guy that's going to match that emotional intensity that's going to go into playing a series against a team like the Miami Heat that wants to stick their chest out and be alphas all over the place. Marcus is going to meet and match that every time. So for this scenario, if we're talking about this series, I'm going to say Marcus Smart is the one I would look to. And you know what? What you've just said made me think of something. Do you remember when uh, Jalen Brown spoke about him and Tatum being fire and ice because of their different? Yep. They're different. Yeah. That's more Smart and Horford, right? Because Smart's the guy that's going to fire you up in a mm-hmm. game. Our yep. Horford's the guy that's going to even you out. And I think the game two needed a bit of both because the first part of the game, you know, the first, what, six, five, six, seven minutes. Yeah, when Miami got a 10-point lead early on. Miami were pretty much doing their thing at will. And then Marcus Smart steps it up. He fires you up. He he kind of brings everybody with him. Tatum gets going. Brown gets going. Brown was really good again in game two. But then all of a sudden you've got this lead. Who's the guy that's going to be the one to level you back out and keep everyone locked in? That's Horford's role. Yeah. You know, Granddaddy Al. So I do agree. I think he can make a case for both. I also think that Marcus Smart wins, especially in this series where you're up against a team that's, you know, Jimmy Butler's one of the more braggadocious guys in the NBA. Uh, I love that word, so I had to fit it in there. It's a great word. It's a, one of my favorites. Um, it's bloody chair. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so when um, that was very English of me, I do apologize. Um, this bloody chair. <laughs> Dog, I, got, I got a squeaky chair here too. I'm going to order a new one. I keep saying it. I need to do <laughs> Need to. I've lost my train of thought. We'll move on. I digress. <laughs> I forget where you were going with that, with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I was just agreeing with you, basically saying, smart. you know, smart's where he needs to do. Like, smart's probably more um, beneficial, especially against the team with, like, Jimmy Butler, who's super exactly. braggadocious. He's going to puff his chest out. He's going to force it on you. Now we're heading back to Boston for games three and four. And if I'm being quite honest, if the team stays healthy, which is a big if considering like the last 48, well, 36 hours leading up to this game, there was the Windhorse report where, you know, everyone could get COVID because some of the traveling guys have, you know, PR staff, trainers, coaches, they've all been testing positive. Horford's out. Oh, what's going to happen is there going to be more. So you had all that kind of concern to contend with. Then you had like, are we going to get Marcus Smart back? Can Horford test out? Oh, Derek White's going back home for a baby. Congratulations. I think that, that he, you know, I saw people that were like, he should be with the team. I completely disagree. Yeah. Insane take. Shame on you, some yeah. of those people. Yeah, it, was, really, it, was, really. it really actually really irked me when I saw some of those those takes where I saw some people call him soft or call him yeah. not a team player. It's like, first of all, like, it's, okay, one of the, this is one of the wildest spin zones that I saw was um, someone said, you can... Um, you never know how many chances you have to win an NBA championship. You can always have another kid. I was like, oh, what What happened to you 
in your childhood <laughs> that this is where this is the spin zone that you've needed to get to to be able to root for your basketball team. Like, think about this. Like, like listen, basketball in the Celtics in the NBA to us is entertainment. To Derek White, this is job. Think about that. Are you gonna miss your job for the birth of your child? Are you gonna go sit at your office desk? Are you gonna go, you know to your you know what whatever you do maybe you work in construction maybe you do whatever job it is are you gonna are you gonna go to that job instead of of going to the birth of your child because you're a team player using air quotes here like think about how ridiculous that statement is that one set me off that one that was ridiculous to see let me just say this and then we'll get back to the point but i love basketball i think like uh, I said this, I was right for uh, people following me on socials. I've been doing a university assignment for about a month and a half now. And then I had to write a commentary yesterday. Like, I, I'm what inspired me and all this, you know, no one really needs to know the ins and outs. But I put on there, like, I'm at the point now where basketball is such an outlet for me. I consider it one of my best friends. You know what I mean? Like basketball as a as a sport, as as an escape, I consider it one of my best friends. It's one of my happiest places on earth. Never once would I expect anybody associated with the team, from a coach to a player to a superstar, to miss the birth of their child. I, I know Hayward yeah. chose to do that, and that was Hayward's decision. You know what I mean? And you know whether that was a right or wrong decision is only for him to make that's not our decision to it's not our place to say you made the right or wrong choice so if it's not our place to say that when you choose to skip the birth it's definitely not our place to say that when you choose to be there like you make that decision based on you and your family on what you want to do and what your wife wants like so i'm just there like yo it's an egregious take do you know what i mean like if it, it is what it is but my point was like you know 36 hours you're like we could have no one available yeah, we could we could have no smart, no horse. It felt like it was spiraling, right? But yeah. before you, I mean, even even with the reason for Derek White being out, when you weren't sure of of what what Allen and Marcus' status was going to be, it was like, well, we struggled without Allen and Marcus. You throw and Derek now, White in that mix, what we're, we're coming homo too, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it was a wave of emotions throughout the day. And then all of a sudden, it's like it it flips like, oh, smarts in. Oh, Horford's got one. Horford can test that. Boom, Horford's tested out. Yeah. Okay, so now we're only without Derek White and. It's going to be a little bit tougher because I'm one of these people that believes that Derek White brings quite a lot, you know, and I find it really funny that people were so happy to get on defending Horford during his first stint where it was very much a number score kind of mm-hmm. impact. Everyone's always rode with smart when it, even during his uh, poor offensive years when it was a non-but score impact. Yet for Derek White, no one wants to back the guy for a non-but score impact. Doesn't make sense to me, but I'm like, yo, no Derek White, it could be tough. But... Smart and Horford are back now. Heading back to Game Three and Four, I'm like, dude, this is over. Like, is, is it, you, you that, think the series is over, dude? Man, I've. It's very rare you'll ever hear me be so, and I don't know if you ever have, mm-hmm. be so kind of like leaning into it too much. Do you know what I mean? So uh, matter of fact, usually I'm like, oh, this could go this way, this could go that way. I'm just like, dude, this is done. Like, yeah, what, I mean, I'm the Warriors. Ooh, okay we'll talk about that in a second but um i i mean i see i see it i see the reason you feel this way and, and i'm with you i'm almost always a little bit 
more just in general my, my personality is risk averse so i'm always kind of like well i see this and i see that yeah you know there's this there's this area but then there's this area and what if this happens and so you know but last night did kind of confirm what i had thought going into the series when we're at full strength it's really hard to envision this team losing to the miami heat it this just is, is it just is and, and i'm with you and that's why you know out of almost respect because I, I think miami is a team that's gonna like like they're there we talked about their aggression you know they they are definitely very alpha heat culture and all that yada 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 they do fight they they will put up a fight you know now pj tucker potentially being out and kyle lowry we'll see what happens like maybe that actually starts to add up on theirs so we're worried about our own injuries and our own health and their health may start to deteriorate to a point that it's like well they, they just don't have a chance without those guys because kyle lowry and pj tucker do make up part of what makes this team you know so so gritty and and tough and you know obviously they have skills that go along with it to help back that up and so you know i i feel like the heat are gonna fight and get at least one more game but if the Celtics remain healthy i don't see the world in which the heat win this series i just yeah. don't and i'm with you i'm with you but i'm I, and i'm the same way that i hesitate to be that guy that's like one game it's over you know especially when we just saw what the heat can theoretically do in one quarter but that's also without Marcus Smart and Al Horford. I think it's if Marcus point, and Al right. are in that quarter, it makes a whole difference. And you're one quarter away right now from the Celtics being up 2-0 heading home, having not played a home game. So I, I, I'm i with you. I see the vision. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm sticking to Celts in six. I'm not changing from that. Yeah, I'm I, not changing I, that. I still think it's going to be a battle. But yeah, like, and I, like, I think this is the first time on this podcast ever that I've made a claim like this so early into a series and it could blow up on me, but you know what? Everybody has takes that come back to haunt them. If that's one for me, fine. But you know, because at the end of the day, you can't be right hundred percent of the time. For sure. And I accept that. But I just felt like watching this game, just like I came away from it. Like, I think I'm more scared of what Spolstra can do as a coach and the positions he can put his guys in than what I'm actually scared, what their players can do. You know what I mean? And when you've got more faith in the coach figuring it out than the players, like you kind of you kind of grasping at straws at that point because I'm like Spolstra can put these guys in whatever position he wants to, but if they're not good enough to execute, they're not good enough to execute. And yeah. that's when I came away like, yeah, I do think Spolstra's probably the most talented guy on that roster at the moment outside of Butler. And he can't this do is, nothing. This is uh remember years ago the the Brad Stevens question. Where, where would you take Brad Stevens? You know, if you could pick players and coaches, <laughs> how many players until you take Brad Stevens? And it was like that ludicrous, like, oh, he's like the fifth pick in the in the draft yeah, or dude, whatever. But like, because but, I'm you know, scared of Foster more than anybody <laughs> outside of Butler. Yeah. No, I mean I think that makes total sense. I mean, it, it this so here's the thing. I mean, maybe we should probably talk about this before we before we wrap up. Like the the, the hidden factor, the hidden non-factor of, of games one and two is Bam Adebayo. You know, Bam Adebayo. When you look at that that bubble series, he's he's what killed us. You know, obviously Tyler Hero had a, had a role to play in that drop that thirty seven point game or whatever he had, and and he played well throughout the series. But you know, Bam, think about the the block on Tatum in, in game one. You think about them going point Bam, the way Bam destroyed Daniel Tyson that drop coverage. Like the, Bam was was really what I walked away being like, we didn't have an answer for that. And honestly, like Bam has not felt super impactful except in very very small doses in these first two games and so I, I think you know when we talk about you mentioned it earlier there being Jimmy Butler and who's that second guy like 
Bam is their second guy, but he's not that traditional second guy. He's, I don't want to say he's Draymond Green, but he's not, you know what I mean? He's not, he's, he can't go get you those buckets that you need the way that you're trying to shut off everything else. And when you get to the playoffs, like you kind of need that second guy. And it's fine if Bam's that third guy on offense and he's your lead guy on defense. But when he's your second guy on, on offense, like that starts to become a problem. And now you're leaning a lot on Tyler Hero, who I like. I like Tyler Hero, but if you're leaning on him that much, for your offense in an Eastern Conference Finals, that starts to be an issue. So the thing with Bam, right? Like in the bubble, what Bam did to hurt Boston a bunch was he would they were feeding him on the high post and then asking him to play make out of there. So you'd get guys curling off um high not high post, sorry, they're feeding him on the elbow, asking mm-hmm. him to play make out of there. So you get a bunch of guys like coming off Iverson cuts and curling off yeah. a DHO on the elbow. And there was the no Robinson shooting off there for shooting the... Shooting off there. And there was just guys flying everywhere off of these elbow sets and initiating everything off the elbow because Boston didn't have the wing versatility and the, um, how can I put this, like the lateral quickness among their four and five to really be able to pressure, take that away. Now you're looking at it and it's like, you put Bam on the elbow, dude, he's going to have Horford up on him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or Tatum that's inc- like vastly stronger than what he was in that in that series. The dude has been become Jackson. Even Grant. Grant. Now, if someone curls off that, that's fine. Guess if you curl off of it and all of a sudden you've got Rob Williams stunting on you, jumping into that driving lane with those arms, that length, that size, the, the impact, the ability to get to the rim, to finish around the rim, the impact that those type of sets have, doesn't make the difference the same way it did during that bubble series. So now you've taken away one of Bam's best assets in his mm-hmm. post-creation. So all of a sudden now you need to be getting him looks down on the low block. Well, you can't really do that because Boston can throw a combo of Tatum and Brown or throw Tatum and Horford, Al, um, Horford and Rob. There's so many combinations that can come and meet you there now that you just need to pick them. There's not much that Bam can do offensively defensively is still going to be a factor, but I just think that the Celtics are so robust defensively now, so versatile, so switchable, that Miami can't punish them through Bam's high high post creation the same way they did. A different team. It's a different team is is, is what it is. You know I mean? There's no... Yeah, it's stronger. I mean, think about it. You know, three mainstays in that defense were Kemba Walker, Brad Wanamaker and and Daniel Tyson. I like Tyson. Tyson's been great to have as a, as a backup, but he was a starter in that series, and that was the big difference. And now you look at who they have out there, and that's that's to me is the is the biggest difference. And you know, I think as we look ahead to to wrap this up here and look at games three and four, Spo's response. That's that's the biggest thing to me. See what Spo comes up with. At the end of the day, and I think based on on your gut feeling, I'm gonna see here, Adam. Do do you feel like the Celtics get? Games three and four, Miami comes out desperate. Game five, they get that, and Celtics close it out in six. Is that, that, is that exactly your future's prediction? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's that that seems the most likely. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I feel like that seems like the most likely scenario. So we'll have to we'll have to check back in here. But uh, games three and four in Boston, I'm, I'm expecting Boston to sweep that home set. And with that, because I've got traffic to go and sit in to pick up the kid from school, we're going to leave you all to it. So remember, if you've enjoyed this show, you can take quotes from it and tweet out the quote. You can tweet the link. You can post quotes on Insta and Reddit, wherever. Just please share it. It helps like more than you'll ever know. We see the show keeps growing. Um, interact with us. We want to get to know the people that are listening. And obviously, if you are new here and you'd like to support us, just going onto your um, onto 
Apple Podcasts, scrolling down, leaving a five-star review, writing something nice. That helps a bunch too. Until Monday, we're going to leave y'all to it. There's going to be another game that we get to talk about on Monday when we're back. It should be me and Greg. Hopefully, Will can make it too. We'll see what happens. Freeman weaving, all that. Will, as usual, your presence has been greatly appreciated. It's been a pleasure, my guy. And I've been a little bit more... uh, a little bit more risky with some of my takes today. So uh, hopefully that goes down well and not bad. It's Everybody Friday, baby. Let Friday, it baby. Stay safe. Enjoy the weekend. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Peace.